This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast. Today, my guest is Leslie Cunningham. So Leslie is an award-winning women's leadership and teamwork development expert with over 25 years of experience coaching, leading educational seminars, and working with women business owners and leaders. And Leslie, you've coached some people in the pool and hot tub industry, some names that I think we would recognize around here. Yes, I started working with Mountain Hot Tub, actually, and I can't even remember how long ago that was, but with Tom Walker. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Before Tom was the owner before Kelly King took over. And of course, Kelly's been on the podcast before. So yeah, somebody we know around here. That's so awesome. So Leslie is also an internationally published author whose work has appeared in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, a national columnist, radio personality. She's hosted a weekly call and talk radio show called Extraordinary Leadership and has appeared live on a CBS, which it used to be a CNN news talk radio Her mission is to empower every woman business owner and leader to achieve extraordinary leadership performance and breakthrough results. And Leslie and I have been working on a program for women in the hot tub industry that we'll talk about more later, but welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thank you, Megan. It is so great to be here. I'm excited that we're doing this. Yeah, me too. And it's funny because Leslie and I have been talking on the phone like once a week these days. Pretty much have a standing conversation. So it's fun to do this and record it. I feel like everyone's going to get a little peek behind the curtain into what what we talk about on a regular basis. (laughs) Yes, we've been cooking up some exciting things for sure. Absolutely. So Leslie, you currently live in Bozeman, Montana. Is that where you grew up in Montana? Gosh, no, I've been here for about 30 years and I grew up Midwest in a tiny town in the Midwest in Missouri. Yeah. But I love Montana. It's yeah, awesome. It's gorgeous. And Bozeman is gorgeous. A lovely place to visit. And I'm sure live. <laughs> How did you make it from the Midwest to Bozeman? Oh my gosh. So funny, quick story. And this will date me. But so I finished, let's see. Yeah. I finished high school and I applied to work at Yellowstone National Park for the concessions. So that was in 1986. And, and it's funny because my friends, I was 18 and my mm-hmm. friends telling me they're like, oh, you'll never get that job. And I'm like, my friends were telling me this. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. It never hurts to apply. I actually think I will get it. And so when I got the job, it was washing dishes for Pete's sake, right. you know, like <laughs> high competition <laughs> and came out here in 86 and fell in love with the park and sure. went back home and went to college and then moved back out here when I was in my mid twenties. What a crazy fun summer job. Oh, it was the best. I bet. Up in the Midwest and like not having been in the mountains before, Mm -hmm. it was a dream come true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get involved in business coaching and doing what you do now? I feel like there's not a, there's not a clear path for that kind of, of career. Yeah, it was interesting. So that's a fun story too. So all my work had been in basically human resources as a young adult, um, and I majored in biology, by the way. I mean, you know, because that's why, what you Yeah, do. why not? That makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> I just love the outdoors. And when you're 19, it's okay, I'll just major in something that I love. But they tell you to follow your passions, right? So you're like, yeah. yes, this is what I love. And then you, you grow up and they're like, I can love that. And then also make money. <laughs> I love the outdoors, but I do not love the science of it. And what I love is people. In hindsight, I would have majored in psychology or social work sure. or something like that. But yeah, so it's an interesting story because I had I was out here in Montana and I had been working in the human resource field with an medical and local government and stuff for our county government. And my husband had recently gotten married and we were traveling and we were in New Zealand. And I remember this moment, we were walking at night. It was a full moon above the Tasman Sea. It sounds so romantic and it was gorgeous. (laughs) We were talking about our dreams and what we wanted to do. And I was telling him my dream of working with people more and having my own business. At that Mm -hmm. point, I'd always worked for other people. 
And so I remember the sound of the waves below us and seeing the moon and I was just sharing my passion and yeah. I really want to get certified as a coach. And he's honey, I think you should do it. Go for it. Yeah. So I went back, we went back home and I got certified as a coach. It was a training program. And then after that, I started working with business owners and leaders and hung up my shingle and started coaching people and yeah. loved it. Leslie has written some columns for us over the years. And I kind of remember their one about that New Zealand trip, something <laughs> about a like terrible car and getting stranded. I don't, it's been many years now, so I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember it was like a big to do to get across New Zealand for your honeymoon. What a great memory, Megan, that you remembered that. The wood, that's, that was an amazing experience. Yes. We brought it, bought a cheap car and we didn't yeah. know going to make it. <laughs> I'll have to see if that's actually, I'll have to see if that's old enough that it's not on our website or if we actually have it stored somewhere out there on the spa retailer website. So if it is up, I will link it so you guys can all enjoy that crazy story oh. too. <laughs> yes. I think it was the harder the way, the more worthwhile the journey. And that was right. the lesson for me. It's like <laughs> the basic adventures from mishaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. what kind of sparked your interest particularly in working with, with women leaders? When I started my coaching business, it was definitely a natural progression. My coaching business, I first started working with, I did financial coaching for couples, and then I moved into doing marketing coaching. And then I also did executive coaching. And so I started coaching a bunch of business owners and women business owners and just found that I just had such a passion for business owners and especially working with women. And then more recently, like four to five years ago, I started doing more deep dive personal leadership work for myself, which I'd always done, but I did more focused work around what was holding me back as a woman leader. And I was profoundly impacted by the work that I did and my own personal journey. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, I realized, wow, I really want to work with women leaders specifically around some of these things that we're going to talk about. But for me, it was, I found that I really easily, and I never saw this and I'm in my early fifties now, I never saw this growing up, but I really defaulted to just people pleasing and trying to make do and make nice and just smooth things over. And I realized it held me back from being effective as a business owner, as a leader, certainly as a coach and a consultant. And so my personal transformation had me just feeling through the work that I've done. It's like a night and day difference um, in terms of my confidence and I'd say alignment as a leader. It's funny. You were talking, I was talking about you and I having these regular conversations and I think a lot of times they end up just like you coaching me on <laughs> some of this exact same stuff oh. where it's like, we're talking about the program. And I'm like, you know what? I really have a hard time with And you're like, oh Yeah. <laughs> And so it's yeah. interesting yeah. how these things come around and how obviously everyone is different and unique and their circumstances are different and unique, but we're socially conditioned to act certain ways and behave certain ways. And it's funny how we default to those even when we don't necessarily intend to. And it's it's part of our animal brains in a way, because I do the same thing where it's I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so when something comes up, I I what can I do to make this safe for everybody immediately. <laughs> and that's the solution that I will go to. And safe meaning like emotionally safe, right? No one's actually in any danger here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that desire to take care of everyone. And I think a lot, what I've noticed as women leaders, it can be easy to avoid conflict and conflict yeah. can be good. Mm -hmm. It's good also create safety, right? But sometimes we do that at the expense of avoiding the tough conversations. Absolutely. What are some other common issues that you see women leaders deal with throughout your years of working with and coaching people? I'd love to share some of these. The first one that always comes up with my women leaders, and these are, it's interesting because I've worked with women leaders in nonprofit industries, executive mm -hmm. business leaders, multi-million dollar business leaders, billion dollar, it doesn't matter. And this also happens not just with women, but men too, I have to add. The first one is lack of confidence. And, and it's interesting because I've seen this with women leaders that you would never guess it. We tend to look at other people and think that they have it all together. And mm -hmm. 
well, they never struggle with this or that, or they don't, that, that leader doesn't struggle with lack of confidence, but very successful women leaders who still struggle with a lack of confidence. And that's definitely something that I had struggled with all the time too, in terms of feeling not confident and doubting myself. Women leaders, in fact, when I've done presentations around, this is the first thing that comes up many times that women mention. Yeah, I think we're all really good at disguising that at certain times. I definitely have lived by the fake it till you make it (laughs) motto, especially when it comes to business. You don't know everything overnight and you just find yourself in situations where you're like, I got to power through this and figure it out. Even if I don't feel like I am the right person for the job or that I know what I'm doing and you just figure it out and go from there. I was saying to someone a while ago that I think problem solving is like the most important leadership skill of a business owner. And I think confidence goes hand in hand with that. And it's really, it can be really tough. And it's interesting because, and it can be tough. And is it a problem? I would say it's not a like, often we think that we, the reason that it would be a problem, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is that it holds women back from doing the things that they're passionate about doing. It holds us back from speaking up. It holds mm-hmm. us back from saying the thing that we're thinking, but fear of bringing it forward because of how people will respond to it, mm-hmm. right? So it holds us back from contributing our fullest potential. And if we believe that we shouldn't be speaking up, then we're not going to be moving beyond our comfort zone and doing yeah. this. You're a leader, you're a business owner who is willing to move beyond that. And then the question is our business growing or dying? Cause if it's either growing or dying and yeah. what's the next new comfort zone that we need to move beyond where you need to, you won't have confidence in it. Right. But, but you got to move there if it's going to expand. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what do you do as far as gaining confidence? For me, I feel like it's just been with continued experience. Are there some things that you suggest that women in particular do to try to feel more confident in their leadership and their decisions and the things that they're doing in their business and as and they don't have to be business owners, even as an employee at leader? It's a great question. It's interesting because I was thinking about that too, as we were talking, I was thinking, oh, let's give some tips. So I'll give a left brain tip and a right brain tip. Okay, good call. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it works. I like those tools and tips. And then I also like the kind of internal piece as well. So the left brain tip in terms of a practical tip is to look back on your accomplishments. Look back on the last time that you stepped out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Like thinking of it in that way. It's easy to list off our accomplishments, but we forget that before they became accomplishments, we were uncomfortable. Absolutely. So I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful to say, okay, pause and look back. What were those experiences that you've had where you felt uncomfortable? And can yeah. you think of a couple real quick? Oh, abs- absolutely. And it's funny because I work with a business coach and he has a women's mastermind group. And we got together last week and this was 100% the thing that we talked about was tipping points in our business. And looking back at them now, a lot of them ended up being successes. But in the moment, it did not feel that way. It felt scary. It felt like we weren't ready. It felt like all of the things that you would imagine when you're looking back at your life and in your business. And it was interesting to listen to the, the indecision of everybody, the inadequacy that everybody felt at the time. And then whether it's a year later or three months later, looking back and being like, you know what? I did that. It was big and scary. And it worked out like we we found a way to make it a success. And so, yeah, that was it was really fascinating. And it was interesting to sit in this group with a bunch of different women who are all at different points. You know, some people aren't business owners. Some people have been business owners for many years and still others are like not even a year in. And it was interesting sitting there and being able to talk to everyone and be like, this does get better. <laughs> it does get better. And you do grow. And there will be a point where you can look back and say, wow, we did that. And with confidence, not like this accidentally happened to me, but I did that. Like we as a team built that and made that happen. So it was really interesting and eye-opening and fits so well in with what you're saying exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I remember for me, a couple of things that come to mind real quick was when I moved to Montana, I was 26 and I didn't, I was like, what am I doing? Of course, at 26 I was definitely willing to take more risks and then find my first home as a woman, a single. So it doesn't even have to be successes in business, but it's like 
remember where you felt uncomfortable. And I remember when I bought my first home as a single woman, I thought, what am I doing? I'm going to die. Like, I don't have this money. And then when I started my own business, I thought, who am I to be like working with all mm-hmm. these doubts, right? They came up and, and I just kept doing it and expanded beyond that. When I did my first two day presentation, I thought, who am I? I, I felt like I was going to throw up every day. <laughs> I did it. And then it became comfortable and Mm -hmm. I was in the right place. Yeah. I love that. So that's one thing. That's the practical piece. Where were you uncomfortable and remember and recall that? And what did you do? And then how did you shift as a result of that? Mm -hmm. And then the more internal piece, I would say in terms of building confidence for me that I've learned on my journey is being able to distinguish you know, what is a sense of anxiety inside me versus like, oh, that's just how my body feels when I'm doing something new, like this internal experience, many of us avoid feeling anxious in our body. And it doesn't distinguishing that from the, this doesn't mean that I shouldn't do this. It's it's okay to actually feel uncomfortable in my body. And I spent most of my life, honestly, avoiding that anxiousness and discomfort in my body and realizing that's just a physical sensation. That doesn't mean the answer is no. And I, that I need to avoid feeling that way. I was like, oh, if I feel anxious, I, let me, I don't want to deal. I don't want to I don't want to feel that. And I would avoid it, but now it's just like, welcome it and distinguish. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, you see those posters and I don't know, stickers or whatever that say, that says do hard things. And I think as much as we can say that in our mind, a lot of times those hard things are the things that like make you feel sick in the pit of your stomach. I can't believe I'm going to put myself out there like this and be vulnerable and potentially fail. And yeah, you can feel that anxiety in your body, but you're right. That's in order to accomplish great things, you've got to figure that out and power through it. And I think that's such a great, I like such a great thing to realize that those feelings aren't the enemy. It's okay to be in that spot and and push through it and see what you can accomplish. Yeah. Cause you're right. Cause we avoid pain at all costs as humans. That's what we do. And we go, you know, you feel, you, you feel uncomfortable. Oh, you know, as a kid, it's like, if you're crying, you're upset, let's go get an ice cream. You know, it's like, we, we avoid it, you know, let's go eat, you know, oh, let's yep. watch a show uh-huh. but now it's like easy. Oh, let's give you a device, you know, to look at. And so it's worth mentioning it's it, that's been everything for me. So distinguishing mm-hmm. that, that internal experience and not avoiding it and just yeah. be there and, and moving through it. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I'm sitting here thinking, what do I do to avoid those uncomfortable feelings? I definitely know what it is. In some ways, turning off your brain and giving yourself a break, that's part of self-care and making sure that you're a balanced human. But on the other hand, there are times where I go to those things just to avoid thinking through the hard stuff. (laughs) Interesting thing, Megan. Yes, you're right. Like some of those things are self-care. Absolutely. We need that. And then some of those things are actually, it'd be the equivalent of us going to the gym and just saying, I'm just going to always lift five pound weights and not going to the 10 pound weights. So as long as we're avoiding this internal experience of discomfort and anxiety, for me, it occurs as anxiety. Everybody's different, but then we're not building up our resilience or internal capacity to experience more discomfort. Why do we want discomfort? Because we want to grow. We want to do bigger and better things. So we're just sticking with the five pound weights. And so yeah. if we can dip into it and not avoid it, but then dip back out of it and just not traumatize ourselves. But it's like, oh, I'm okay. I can handle this. Mm-hmm. I survived. Now let me go relax, go for a walk. We can actually build our capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And I do feel that over the years, as a business owner specifically, I can see how that has gotten less and less where I've stopped avoiding like I was and just jumping in and sticking with it and not going to those like escapism (laughs) tropes to try to not have to deal with the things that make me incredibly uncomfortable. Yep. And me too. I've done that too. I think many of us have. Yeah. Yeah. Today's modern hot tubs not only have to be quiet and efficient, they have to be easily serviced. There's been a lot of changes over the years. In the beginning, spas just had a few jets. 
Everything was held together by wood and foam. Max Spas is really proud of how far its spas have come. The most important thing that it's learned is that it's all about how it's built. Max has designed its spas so that a technician can maintain them like any other home appliance to make sure they work the same way they did the day they were made. That's what Max is most proud of. To learn more, visit maxspas.com. Those are some good tips on confidence for sure. What are some other things that women leaders tend to struggle with? The next one that comes, this isn't in any particular order, but always communication comes up. They struggle with communication. Isn't it the men that are supposed to struggle with the communication? Is that what we always say? Women are the talkers and the communicators and men are the ones that are supposed to be bad at that. (laughs) I love that you say that. It's interesting because... Often what happens in terms of gender, I don't want to get too into this, and it's important to mention men, how we're raised or whatever, are more willing, they've done studies on this, they will say what they need to say, whether, not always, of course, regardless of the fact that they might not feel confident about it, they will assert themselves. And in terms of relationships, right, there's men don't communicate as well as women do. We talk about feelings men don't. In a leadership setting, women will tend to allow themselves to be talked over mm-hmm. or second guess what it is that they have to communicate or avoid communicating the hard thing. Got it. If yeah. you're an assertive woman and you don't avoid it, it comes across as like not being okay. And again, I want to be thoughtful and respectful and not, this isn't right or wrong. This is just a lens. Right. Yes. And these are gross generalizations. I think we're all grownups. We understand, obviously, not every person fits into these boxes. But yeah, when you talk about how we are trained up in our society, a lot of us fall into these tropes because it's what's expected of us. Yes. And so it can be difficult if you're a woman leader and our struggle is like not speaking up. And then our struggle as a strong woman leader, I've coached women like this, where they do speak up, but then their challenge is that they're not very soft and feminine and they Mm -hmm. offend people and people don't know how to respond to such a strong personality. So they feel like they have to pull back the reins and they can't say what needs to be said. Yeah, absolutely. I can think of specific examples in my career where there have been some really strong women leaders in our industry and yeah, their reputation was tough. And it was like, and you knew that if a man said the things that they said in the same way, that they wouldn't get the same reaction. They wouldn't be given certain nicknames and things like that because that would have been expected because they acted outside of what society we feel like a woman necessarily, a woman should behave. And they didn't do anything wrong. It's just a strong woman, assertive, strong words, doesn't put up with stuff. And people just don't know how to take that sometimes. Whereas, yeah, when it's a man in the same position, you don't deal with that. They don't deal with that pushback. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, we all have cultural lenses that we look through and in some Mm -hmm. organizations, this is not a problem. It's not, if you are assertive as a woman, it's not a problem. And so the tip that I like to share with my women leaders that don't speak up, I think it's a really, I guess I'll share one for both sides of this. I would tell my women leaders, those that don't have a tendency to speak up and avoid things, I noticed because I've done a lot of leadership assessments with different women. And I would say what I noticed is a lot of these women leaders that avoid saying something, they tend to be observers and they take it all in. Mm-hmm. And they, they're very introspective and judicious, and they're also very insightful. And I, and one woman leader I was working with, she worked at a nonprofit. And after doing her leadership assessment, I told her, I said, you cannot afford to not speak up because you are seeing things the way you put things together. And I think this speaks for any leader. You're seeing things that other people can't see. And by you speaking up, you're going to contribute to your leadership team, your organization as mm-hmm. a whole, because you're bringing things forward that people couldn't see before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like to, and again, this is something that I have gotten better at the more that I've had to do it, but I tend to like to take everything in and think about it before I respond. And I'm learning that is not helpful always for my team, that immediate feedback is needed and warranted sometimes. And I just have to be start to get better at doing that and saying good or bad or indifferent, giving them that feedback in the moment instead of sitting back and digesting it and having time to fully process everything and how I feel about it before I speak up and speak out. So that's a 
Yeah, I think that's, I mean, for men and women, that's got to be a personality trait that as a leader, you have to work through. Yeah. And it's interesting that organizations and businesses that are most effective, and I think it's, uh, I have it over here, Patrick Leonsoni, I'm going to botch his name, but <laughs> Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He's written a lot of leadership books, but he talks about, it is essential it's actually those organizations that don't avoid conflict that have more trust. So being able that, that builds yes. trust, yeah. right? About it in our relationships, mm-hmm. our primary relationships, significant partnerships. If we're able to talk about what's not being talked about, that actually brings us closer together. Mm-hmm. Same with our leadership teams. So we want to be able, like you're saying, to bring those things forward. Yeah. And then as a, as an assertive woman leader, I would say a tip for you, if you fall into that, if you're, it would be to create a sense of safety before you speak. And this can be something safety. It's like, what does that mean? What are we talking about? It could be something as simple, create connection. Um, uh, <laughs> in a parenting, uh, book and workshops that I've taken because I have a 12 year old, but he wasn't always a 12 year old. I need more parenting support as a 12 with a 12 year old. But they would say in one line of parenting work, they would say, collect before you direct, collect before you direct your kid. So the same works with if you're actually it works if you're not assertive. And especially if you're an assertive woman leader, collect before you direct someone, create a sense of connection hey, how are you? Or how's it going? Or whatever that is, collect that person. Mm -hmm. How was the game that you went to? And then start to create some sort of connection before we start. Because a lot of assertive women leaders, it's easy to just go in and say what it is. And then there's no connection that's been established that will create a sense of safety. Yeah, for sure. And I think that has to be a genuine thing that you're doing too, right? Because I think people, because I think there's been that, there's been that advice where it's before you say something negative, make sure you say something positive about someone. And I think that like people see kind of right through that, right? Unless it's genuine and specific to them, they, I think people recognize that and it doesn't really makes you seem insincere, I feel like, right? I so appreciate that you're saying that. We don't want to be rote about it and just, oh, let me just do this out of habit because I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. There's really an opportunity to just realize that for women leaders that like to get things done and are assertive, I would say a, a perception, a mindset to take on that will support you in being more authentic with it is to realize that you're going to get a lot further if you connect first, you're going to be more productive mm-hmm. in the conversation and in the results if we connect and collect first before we direct. That will help us become more aligned. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. Whatever it takes to get a different, that's a mindset shift that I think would speak to a lot of women who fall into that camp. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, if I get more done, let me just, it's worth to take the time so we can be more authentic with it. So we've talked about, we've talked about confidence and people pleasing. We have talked about speaking up and asserting yourself. What are some other, what are some other issues that you see specifically among women leaders? Kind of what we've been talking around too is um, the conflict with being powerful. Being an assertive woman, there's a conflict with being powerful. And I Mm -hmm. would say even being an unassertive woman, we have conflict definitely with being powerful. It's realizing that it's okay to be strong and powerful as a woman leader and not being afraid to step into that power if that makes sense. Leslie wrote a great article about that in I think the July, August issue of the magazine. So I'll definitely, we'll definitely add that in our show notes if you want to take a look and read some more about that specifically. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's been very profound. I think just when we are able to start stepping into our power and owning that. I could share many stories around that, but in the interest of time, I won't. But it's been an amazing journey because we think that if we're powerful, that means that we have to be mean and assertive and people won't like us. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not true. To be a powerful woman leader, we actually get to be respected and we get to say what needs to be said in the Mm -hmm. way that it needs to be said and it will have an impact. A lot of breakthroughs happen when we are willing to start stepping into our power. The other one that I really wanted to talk about for sure is this drive to be perfect. Yes. (laughs) 
perfect and not just not just at work perfect in all things perfect in all things and and then the incredible guilt we feel when we don't think we're living up to that ridiculous standard of of parenting and of keeping house and of looking a certain way and running your business like it's it's insane and also something that I can't let go of this perfection right yes absolutely it's really I think probably the thing I struggle with the most personally yeah Yeah. Absolutely. And you're definitely not alone. A lot of women, when I've done these presentations and workshops, really relate to this and I relate to it too. And I never, I didn't realize that it was a drive to be, we hear about being a perfectionist. I didn't realize it was a drive to be perfect. I just thought my standards were how things should be. So I didn't even, and I always thought I was constantly failing. Right. Oh yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every day. It just feels like, what did I screw up today? What did I not, what standard did I not live up to? That's arbitrary in my own head that no one else cares about except for me. Yeah. Yeah. And they've done studies, Megan, and it's interesting. They've done, I didn't realize this initially, like they've done studies and it does definitely tend to be more women. Men struggle with this as well, however. And they've done studies that have shown that children that have been raised in families with parents, one of the primary caregivers who had very high expectations of their children or made demands or were critical. It doesn't mean that our parents were bad, but that this is just a way of, and it's not about taking, not taking responsibility for something, but it's right. a way of understanding maybe where this comes from mm-hmm. that, that we developed. If we, our primary caretaker had a lot of demands, was critical and had high expectations that we developed this way of compensating in terms of performance and trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing and being having these high standards to, to gain that right. connection approval. Yeah. And, and high standards, you want to have high standards, right? That's, but I think there's also that there's high standards and then there's unrealistic standards. And I think, you know, what is, it gets to a point where it's just unrealistic. You cannot be perfect at everything every day in every moment. <laughs> That's unrealistic. And it's the kind of standard that you don't hold anyone else in your life up to, right? You don't hold your children up to that standard. You don't hold your spouse up to that standard. You don't hold your employees to that standard. It's really an internal thing that apparently you are the person in the world who is supposed to be able to do everything perfectly all the time. Everyone else is fine when they screw up. It's interesting because this can also come from a positive perspective as well in terms of parenting parents that really acknowledge their children and praise their children for their accomplishments. Then there's like that carrot on the stick. It's, oh, I'm worthy if I'm accomplishing. And so there's parents with very good intentions that, you know, that we, that it becomes mostly about performance. That dopamine hit. (laughs) Around the perfectionism, a practical tip that I will give, and it's hard because I know I deal with this all the time, but it's, for me, it occurs with trying to do way more than is humanly possible to get done in terms of the day. And for me, it's really been great to prioritize what are the top one or two things that need to be done today? One or two, maybe three. And because of the way my brain works, sometimes I'll go ahead and add four or five, but I know that if I only get one or two of those top things done, it's like a triage. Mm -hmm. I know what are the most important things and that I need to get done. And the rest of it has to go, you know, it not get done. Then it helps me enter my day from a place of curiosity. It's like somebody's on a life boat and what's the first thing that we need to do. And maybe we're not going to get to this thing, but to get to the lifeboat, it's not like a stress mm-hmm. panic situation, but it's like realizing I might not get to the other stuff and letting that go. Yeah. And the, and then the second tip is going to the end of the day and acknowledging yourself for what you've accomplished, yeah. although it still stays in that same paradigm, but maybe thinking about your relationships and the connections that you've had instead of just the productivity piece. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's so hard, but even as you're talking, I'm realizing the improvements that I've made in this over the years as being a business owner, especially I think back to that first year in business and what I thought we are going to get accomplished, which was totally unrealistic, unrealistic for my team, unrealistic as a new business owner who had so many new things to learn. I thought we were going to launch all these products and do this new stuff and all, all of these things. And it's here we are going on, I don't know what year four or five. 
And some of those things are still goals that we are slowly working toward in a much more realistic way now. But it's funny. And I've thought about this a lot. I don't know if I've said this. I don't think, I don't think I've said this out loud to very many people. <laughs> First time ever. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. I joke about, because I, I bought the business, then I got pregnant, then I had an infant, and then I had a pandemic in a very short period of time. And yeah. it was incredibly challenging, right? When I look back, some of those things I think maybe saved me and saved our business from really falling into that perfectionism, work yourself to death, unrealistic expectations of myself situation. Because once I was pregnant, not only was I unable to work until three in the morning, I wouldn't because when it suddenly becomes not about my health, but about the health of my child, like it didn't, I wasn't going to sacrifice that. And wow. so it was really interesting how that forced me to stop pushing myself to the point of extreme, like extreme exhaustion because, and also it also released me from some of the guilt of, because I think that's the thing I struggle with is I feel like I should be working all the time. And if I'm not working all the time on my business, I feel guilty. Like I'm letting my employees down and all of that. And it released me of some of that guilt because it's obviously it doesn't matter what's going on with the business. Like I'm not going to do anything that puts my kid at risk. <laughs> and so it's really interesting looking back at that and how really some of the hardest, most challenging personally years of my life, but also so how some of those challenges actually probably saved me some from some bigger things down the road that would have been a real struggle because I just felt like I didn't have a choice. I had to take a break. So it was, it's interesting to look back on yet. And I, again, I haven't, something I thought about a lot in my head, I have not articulated to very many people because, you know, what a weird thing, but honestly, like it saved me. And I, the same thing with the pandemic, I think as hard and as challenging as that was, it was also an opportunity for a lot of us to say, you know what, I can't do this. And I'm going to have to be okay with it because I don't have a choice. And here we are a year later, a couple of years later being like, wow, I guess I didn't actually need to be putting in all of those hours or like things are still good and things were maybe even great. And yeah. I wasn't killing myself and my employees and my family over it. Oh, Megan, I love that you shared this. There's nothing like having a, so what I would say to bring some pieces out that would support our listeners is you, your vision became bigger than just you and your business. It became about your child, your baby. And, and so that, so we can expand our vision in terms of who we are and what we're about. And for me, I call it living and loving richly. Like I, to me, it's a phrase that I trademarked and it's like living and loving richly is about making an impact in my business and making living and loving richly in my personal life, mm -hmm. having being a great mom, having time for that. And so you had a bigger context that was important to you, that was meaningful for you, that caused you to take different behaviors. Mm -hmm. And the, it's funny, I have to, our listeners won't see this, but I have to show this to you and I'll explain it for our listeners. But <laughs> I have a little turtle that my son made me and it's green, it's tiny, everyone. And he made it in an art class that he took last summer. And it's very rudimentary looking. I don't know. I think that's a pretty, it's a pretty good turtle. I can tell what it is. So he's got something, something going for him there. My motto, my word for the year and my vision for the year was slow and steady. And because I always tend to think fast, I think like the hair, I got to go fast to win the race, but slow and steady. And I asked my son if he'd make me a little turtle in his art class. And so this is my mascot for the year for my vision. And yeah. I have to remind myself slow and steady wins the race. Yes. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to jet out of the starting line. I am here for the long run for the things that matter now. I try to set two or three goals for our business and for my team a year, but two or three big goals. And there are a million little tiny steps that lead up to those. And as you know, like as soon as you've met a goal, it just causes you to have another one. And it's a revolving thing is instead of having five or six that are not attainable truly for, for me as a real person who has responsibilities outside of my job and for my team who has the same. Right. And so it's been, and it's actually, in some ways, it's a lot more fulfill fulfilling because when we meet those goals, 
they have been really thought out and really planned out. And then we are able to execute them in a way that we end up being happy with and not just something that we can check off at the end of the day, which I love checking off a list. Me too. We can be addictive checking off the list, but it's, it's about the journey, right? I like to think about how present am I on this journey or am I just like making this mad dash for the finish line? Am I missing all these connections? And by the way, I believe that less is more. The less I do, the more I have, the more I slow down, which is like a more but less thing. The more I slow down, the more connections I make with people, the more things just magically, it's not magic, but they happen because of my connection and my heart and my authenticity with people. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any others that we want to touch on today? I feel like this has been a really great counseling session. Thank you, Leslie, <laughs> as always. I appreciate getting my my weekly counseling in from you. Oh, so. <laughs> I think that's good. There's many more, but I think this is a good stopping point for yeah, today. I think so too. And so we do need to talk though about the program for the hot tub industry that we are putting together. Not everything is finalized and finished and ready to go yet, but Leslie, for the last... Oh man, I feel like month and a half or two months, she and I have been working on putting together a women's group for the hot tub industry specifically. What do you think we should share about that in this podcast, Leslie? There's so much. Yeah, I'll share a couple things. And then I'd love to hear like what your excitement is about it in terms of for the women in the hot tub industry. I think that'd be great for everyone to hear. I would say that this program is to empower women leaders in the hot tub industry to speak up step out and stand in their full authority and power in leadership and life. And so it's about becoming a more effective leader at work, in your business and at home. Everything's interchangeable. Mm -hmm. How do we more step into our power? And the things I'll say briefly that we'll be covering is how to stop the people pleasing and be a more effective leader, how to develop confidence and trust in themselves as leaders. It's knowing what's best as a leader, but being afraid of making other people mad. We talked about it in our communication and avoiding conflict. How do we like say what needs to be said instead of our fear about how people will respond, defining and articulating boundaries. And then the communication piece and is huge, like how to communicate with different people who have different communication styles. Those are just a few of the things in terms of outcomes. Yeah. 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 I think so. The things that I'm excited about for this is one, I just, there very rarely is there does anyone teach you how to do this stuff in any tangible way? So our industry has great training programs for a million other things. But I think this is the one that no one really teaches you how to be a good leader. It's, I think to a certain extent, we think that we're just born with it, (laughs) which is ridiculous. It's definitely a skill that you need to hone and work at and develop. And there just are not, especially in a small industry like ours, where there aren't like these big management training programs and things like that, it's just something that you don't get a lot of. And I would just say that personally, I know because I spent my, I've spent my entire career interviewing small business owners in the hot tub and pool industry, right? Those are my people. I talk to them every day, all the time about what it's like running their business. And I would always say the most successful people I know are the ones who are constantly learning, whether that means they are working with a coach, whether that means they are in some kind of a group the Gemini group in our industry is really popular, but there's some other like Vistage and things like that. They have really found a way to be mentored and it's mentorship in these kinds of areas, right? Financials to a certain extent, but then also just on how to be a better leader. And so when I bought my company, I was like, when I get to a point where I feel like I got my feet under me, I knew that I wanted to find a coach. I knew that I wanted to hone those skills and get better at those things that I have never been personally taught. And it has been so beneficial for me and this women's group that I am in, even it's not people in my industry. It's not people who know anything about what I'm doing or my particular type of business, but it has just been so helpful to get in a room with people who are dealing with the same struggles and who understand what I'm going through And you can come away with some actual real things to work on and to learn from. And I just think it is so important as business leaders. And it's 
also special when you get together with a group of women who understand what you're doing. And so I'm very excited about that part of it. It's something that I have talked to people about in the industry before, and it's definitely in need. And so I'm hoping that we can get people as excited about it as I am and to come on board and get together with a group of your peers and see what can happen. Because just even the networking, <laughs> I think, is just so valuable to have that support and that team behind you. And yeah, I'm very excited about it. Oh, so beautifully said, Megan. I could, that's absolutely spot on. It's like having a sisterhood, a group of other women in the industry. We do not travel this path alone and we get way further, so much further as a village versus as separate entities. So stay tuned. We will have a lot more information about this over the coming weeks and months. By the time this episode comes out, we will probably have more information to link to in in the podcast. There's a lot more coming on that. So pay attention to our emails. Shoot me an email if you want to be involved. Please go ahead and do that. But should we do the Spa Retailer 5, Leslie? Yeah, absolutely. If you like, I'm all for it. All right. All right. What? Do you remember what your first sale was? It could be any capacity and any job that you've had. Do you remember what that first big win was for you? Oh boy. I could, in terms of the hot tub industry, it was definitely when I worked with Mountain Hot Tub. That's a fun story. I'll just share that quickly. And it was by far not my first sale, but it was the first in the hot tub industry. And I think Oh gosh, I don't even want to misquote it in terms of how many years ago that was. But I'd been doing individual coaching, executive coaching with the owner and uh, Tom at the mm-hmm. time. And, and he had asked me, he's, we'd been working together and he said, what do you think about working with my leadership team and the employees? And I remember thinking, cause at that time we'd have calls over the phone and then sometimes it would be in person. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to go in person and not be able to wear my pajamas. That's just making light of it. But I'm like, huh, I'm not sure about this in terms of an actual in-person thing. And and it was awesome just working with this leadership team and the breakthroughs that they created in the employees. And then, yeah. And then my first, yeah, I think I'll stick with that. I could go like 20 years ago, my first actual sale was when I just started coaching and I was coaching friends. And I remember starting to charge this. I'll say this because this is fun. $10 a session. Yeah. When you're asking your friends, like that does feel like a big ask. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's after I got certified and you needed clients and they're Mm -hmm. like, do it for free. And so it was like, okay, what's one step above free? Right. $10. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's actually helpful to see like what a trajectory it's been and how long ago that's been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So was you told the story about your job with the national park. Was that your first real job then? Or did you have jobs in high school? I don't know, flipping burgers or doing stuff like that. Like cooking, like working at Pizza Hut. That was my first job. Yeah. Okay. So we like to ask people about what they feel like their biggest failure or flop was in their business. And then on the flip side of that, what was maybe the best idea or game changer you've brought to your business? It's good to see that I think both sides, I always feel comforted knowing that smarter people than me have screwed things up. I love these questions, by the way. For me, it was, and we talked a little bit about it, but uh, without a doubt, my biggest mistake was just trying to rush through getting everything done and doing it as quick as I could and working till five in the morning, which is ridiculous. And I'm rushing, thinking that it was all about doing in the action, Mm -hmm. biggest mistake by far. And, and now what's been huge is realizing, and again, we've spoken to it, but it, it has, it's been the biggest turnaround is like realizing, oh, the more I slow down, And the more I connect with these people around me and the more I listen to myself and what's authentically calling me, like Mm -hmm. to work with women leaders, what's authentic for me, and I communicate from authentic and authentic place, the more that results happen with ease and effortlessness. I'm a big believer in less is more and slowing down Mm -hmm. is actually going faster. It's good to hear that from somebody who's actually done it themselves. So our last question is always, if you have a favorite book or television show or podcast movie, what is that place that you go to for a little bit of escapism? Oh, 
So again, great questions. I love listening to Audible because I can listen to it at the gym. Oh, My son's an avid reader and he's, mom, you don't read at all. I'm like, actually do. It's like, I listen to it. Yeah. No, a big debate between some of my friends right now is if you listen to an audiobook, does it count as reading? And I say yes, but some people are very adamant that you have to hold that book in order to have said that you read it. <laughs> That's funny. I say whatever works best for you, go for it. (laughs) No, because it's the only, so agree. I love audiobook. I set a goal to read 52 books this year and I've, I think I've already done it, but it was all audio, all of it. And I guess, and I love that medium. So a particular book that I just finished was Michael Singer, Michael A. Singer, The Surrender Experiment. Hmm. Loved it. It's amazing. And he talks about how the more he just slowed down and trusted what life was giving to him, he went from being like a yogi and a carpenter to owning this multi-billion dollar business. And he still had struggles. It wasn't like everything was perfect, but it was this practice in daily surrendering to what life was bringing to him and, and trusting that process. So it's been profound for me. What a great reminder. I don't think I'm not very good at that sometimes because it's, I like having a plan. And when my day is all planned out, I want things to go according to plan. And inevitably a kid gets sick or I'm, I forget that I'm supposed to do pickup that day or whatever it might be. And it's like, yeah. it throws my day off and I don't probably surrender to it. I probably would go kicking and screaming more often than not. <laughs> That happens to me too. I kick and scream a lot and then I get to surrender to that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so glad we were able to do this and I hope that we got some people excited about the program for when it comes out. And yeah, where can people find you or get in touch with you if they want to connect with you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is impactandprofits.com. And then I have my email address and my phone number on there too. And I love emails. So please don't hesitate just to reach out and say, hey, I enjoyed what you said or made me think of this. Feel free to send me an email too. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Leslie. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. (laughs) Thank you, Megan. Take care. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.